All right. You ready, Pastor Jay? <clears throat> I'm ready. Let's do it. I clear my voice a lot. <laughs> Light of the temple, short swing, kill a lot from the ghetto. The hood messenger, let him know hell's close. Black burial, the devil in a black cloak. Street gospel, light of the temple. Short swing, kill a lot from the ghetto. The hood messenger, let him know hell's close. Black burial, the devil in a black cloak. Yo, what is up? This is Dave One, your host of the Street Gospel Podcast. And this is episode number, what episode is this, Cam? 22. Yeah, episode number 22. If you caught episode number 21, it was our good friend Jacob Donnie, a uh, famous tattoo artist, uh, loves God. Uh, definitely one you got to check out. I mean, the guy is amazing. Uh, I was very happy to have him on the show. But today, um, we got a great guest today. I mean, I was, uh, I was pretty stoked to have him on. Uh, I met him, uh, I would say it's got to be almost 10 years ago. Uh, my band, 540, was playing a show in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we drove for miles in the middle of nowhere. I, I was like, nobody's going to show up here. And uh, we got there. There was supposed to be some skaters there. We didn't know who was showing up. And uh, all of a sudden, there was some famous skaters there and a ramp in the middle of uh, a forest. I mean, it was crazy. And... Uh, this guy was there, and uh, he's not your average guy. So, you know, I always like to play a little bit of music before I introduce somebody. I mean, it's kind of what what we do on the podcast. Um, but this guy right here, he is, first of all, he's a believer. I mean, that's number one. He's a husband, a devoted husband. He's a father. I thought I saw a little grandbaby on one of your pictures, right? Yeah, yeah a little grandbaby on one of your pictures. So he's a grandfather. He's a pastor, um, a professional skateboarder. I mean, he has one of the most iconic pictures, and we'll talk about it later, that I've ever saw on skateboarding. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. And he runs a great church, uh, a great online presence, a great uh, group of believers. I mean, it's just, you know something's there. He was also on a TV show. I mean, it was called... Uh, the Preachers of L.A. And uh, I love that show. And when I seen it, this guy came off as probably one of the most authentic guys on that show. Uh, but I want to welcome to the Street Gospel Podcast, without further ado, Pastor Jay Hazlip. What's going on? How are you? I'm, do I'm doing good. Good to be with you. I thank you for coming out. Yeah, my I honor. I mean, I know your schedule's got to be crazy. It is. I mean, all over the place. I mean, what's it like being a pastor nowadays? Well, a lot has changed over the last year. <laughs> the way things used to be yeah. are not the way they presently are. Right. And only those people that really turned and stepped it up are surviving yeah. through everything that came through. Uh, we came through and are still going through. It's not over. No, and, uh, unfortunately. But, but for our church, you know, for us, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, you got people going through hardships. And yeah. You got people walking in victories. I, I, I feel that. I mean, there will, do you think, you know, because of everything going on and, you know, kind of the church went online for, for most of the time, you know, there and, and, and people didn't show up to church. Do you think it, I, I mean, I'm starting to think like it, it kind of 
sifted out, you know, the the average Christian, and maybe the the maybe it pulled some of those Christian, maybe the average Christian up and kind of hardened them a little bit. Do you think that kind of happened? Well, so here's what I think. I think that there was a falling away and is a falling away. I think that the uh, consumer Christian, uh, they couldn't weather the storm because they were serving God out of convenience, mm. comfort. What can he do for me? So there are people that stepped it up and said, wait a minute, what's happening? To me, it was really a lot like the David Goliath moment. Okay. So when you look at that story... You know, you have Israel's army, right? Right. You have all different levels of soldiers. You've got the high-ranking soldiers. You've got the foot soldiers. They're all there. Every day, twice a day, Goliath comes out, challenges them. They back up. They were never able to take territory. But then all of a sudden, here comes David out of nowhere. And David does what any one of them could have done, but none of them did. Mm. David takes on Goliath. Those soldiers, nobody knows who any of them are. They faded away into the background. They disappeared forever. David, it was his moment where he was elevated to a place of prominence for the glory of God, and he excelled and advanced God's purpose. And so really, that's what this pandemic has been for the church. Now, it breaks my heart. Guys that are, that's their main thing, that study church statistics, they say 100,000 churches in America will never open its doors again. 100,000. 100,000. Wow. And I've had lots of pastors, pastors' wives, and people that go to churches and other places reach out because that's where they are. They lost their church or their church closed or it's just no longer. That's tough. Yeah. I, I had heard that. It was it was down, like, attendance was down, like, 70%. Yeah, for the majority of churches in America, of course, you got states that are open, been open long, way longer than what we have been here in California, but like Florida or Texas or these other states that didn't have quite as strict um, restrictions, they uh, their attendance on a national level is averaging right now between 30 to 50% of most churches in America. Wow. There are the rare exceptions here and there, yeah. but they are the exceptions. I, I had heard somebody that that had another outtake on that, and they said, you know, Maybe this online presence was good in a way for our younger people because they're such on their phones and and so digital that maybe it was a good thing. I mean, I I still think the gathering. Yes. Well, I know the gathering. It's biblical. It's scripture. You know, um, the word church. Now, if you really want to get technical, the word church uh, means called out ones who gather together. It doesn't just, yes, we're the church, we're the body of Christ, we're the temple of God, the Holy Spirit lives in us individually. The building is not the church, but the building is where the church gathers. Uh, Hebrews 10 plainly instructs us not to forsake assembling, gathering together. together. Now, I'm not anti-online, Matter of fact, we are going all out 100%. We yeah, have you got wrapped, stuff look sharp. <laughs> I mean, well, you give us a little bit of time. All right. <laughs> yeah. And so we have, we've made a hard turn. We're making huge investments, strategizing to reach more and more people right. through online. So we're 100% about local gathering. That's why, you know, at first when this whole pandemic and here in California, Governor Newsom said you can't open your doors and they made it feel like it's floating in the air, even if nobody's within 100 miles of you. And if you go outside your house, you're going to die. 
And so we didn't know. We shut our doors initially. But then when every the narrative kept changing, the goal kept changing. So we closed our door for two months. And then in June, we said, you know what? Uh, we're going to turn off all these other voices. We're going we're gonna to do what God's word says. We're going to trust him. You know, scripture, Jesus told people, he said, I want you to, uh, he said, freely you receive, freely you give, you're to cast out devils, you're to heal the sick, you're to cleanse the lepers. Leprosy is way more contagious and deadly than the coronavirus. Wow. Wow. And so he told people to actually go in. They had like villages, right, where yeah. lepers lived. And they had to quarantine. They had to self-isolate. If they came out around anybody, they had to socially distance. They had to announce they were unclean. They would have to say that, unclean, 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 so people would keep their distance, a lot like what's happening today. Great but analogy. Jesus said, go lay hands on them. Go pray for them. Go touch them. And uh, so that's where that's the take we took. We're like, wait a minute. Everything's changing we're not going to allow Governor Newsom or any other political party to control the narrative of how we serve God. Jesus is the Lord of his church. Man isn't. And we never need man's opinion to obey what God says. Wow. Yeah, that's true. I, I love that analogy. I mean, a lot of pastors took a, took a knee on that. You know, I, I remember calling my friend and I, and I, and I told him he, he's, he's out in Orange County, not too far from you guys. And I said, I said, Adam, what are you going to do? And he says, we're opening. I can't, I, this is not right. We're opening. We're going to do everything we can to be safe. We're, we're, we're doing an online presence, but we're going to open. I said, good, because uh, if you didn't open, then I was going to be mad and we're going to not be friends anymore. But I, at, at one point in time, like you said, I, I think there was, a, there was two months there where I was like, okay, hold up. You know, we need to open. I mean, people were searching. People started looking internally like, I need something. Pe unsaved people, right? We, this is our, our opportunity. This is our chance to share the gospel with them. And he said he was open. I was like, great. I, I'm happy. But there was a lot of people that just said, a lot of churches, pastors that just said, we're not, we're not, we're not going to open. You know, we're just going to stay online. We don't need the gathering. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It was great a few Sundays in a row to wake up in your pajamas <laughs> Have your Starbucks, grab grab a uh, a donut, right, and 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 watch church online, right? Couple worship songs. You can't do a huge worship over yeah. online. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't translate, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you know it was great, but I missed, you know, hey, how's it going, bro? Good to see you. How's the family? Hey, the hugs, the interaction, seeing people come to the altar. I mean, I miss that. I mean, we need that. One hundred percent. God has designed it to be that way. He never designed for us to live in isolation. Matter of fact, when the enemy isolates, when he separates and isolates, he can always come in to destroy. Mm -hmm. That's his tactic. That's his goal. When Satan goes about to kill, still destroy, that's what he tries to do. He tries to separate people from the very thing that God has wow. designed to give them life. Hebrews chapter 4 describes that we are joined together. We're knitly joined together and that and that there is a supply that is passed through our connection, through our relationship. So there's an element of impartation of what God does in our life that can only be experienced in the context of relationships. That's not online, that's in person. It has to be in person. Yeah. I, I mean, it, the, the, I can tell. 
you know, and, and it, it hurt me after a while. And I was like, this, this is not fun anymore. Like we, we need to get together. I was, we were ready to just open our home and say, let's have a Bible study. Let's get some people over here. Let's, we need fellowship. Yeah. We need friendship. We need each other, you know? And so that was a, that was key. And I, I, I was so glad that I seen you guys open. I seen some of my friends' churches open. It was sad to see a few, a few close and, and, and never be open again. But, but, but the gospel goes on, right? Yeah. Maybe some of those needed to be closed forever. Maybe, right? Maybe, yeah. Maybe that was God just, yeah. okay, everybody, let's just sift this out a little bit and let's let's harden the church a little bit. And I mean that in a good way. You know, we all we all need to be a little bit hardened a little bit towards stronger. Stronger. That's yeah. the right that's the correct word. Yeah. I think I think I always do the fighter analogy like yeah. you know, we gotta get yeah. hardened or our, yeah. our, our out. military. Yeah. We gotta get bigger yeah. and stronger. But um where does your story begin? I mean, I I, I uh I know a little bit of your testimony over the years. I've heard it. Um, you know, what's funny is I heard a story you said the first time you were exposed to uh, to marijuana and wine was like about five years old by some, yeah. by some relatives just blowing it in your face. Mm-hmm. And uh, not to make it sound funny, but I, I kind of laughed about it. I have I have an uncle. He's a pastor now too in, in the city of Azusa, and uh, he laughs at him and my other uncle before we were saved. Long before we were saved, used to blow weed they were teenagers blow weed in my face and watch me tumble around and fall and they they'd crack up you know i i i tell everybody i've, I've never gone to drugs never drank alcohol but because of my uncle <laughs> i did but th- that's kind of what you said in, in in one year in the beginning of your testimony i heard yeah so my mom i love my mother you know she's graduated to heaven now and uh, i've i got to pray with her she never developed a super strong relationship with jesus but I have peace and absolute confidence. My mother graduated and went to heaven. The, um, but my mother was a teenager when I was born. And my parents did get, demar- get, did get married, but they got a divorce when I was two. I didn't grow up in a relationship with my dad. So my mom was a hippie teenager uh, with, with a kid, you know. So that's the environment I grew up in. And I didn't, it wasn't like a commune. But it was probably one step short of a commune. If she had gone any farther, yeah. that's probably where we'd have been. So she had left me uh, with uh, my cousins that were supposed to be watching me. It's like a little party happening. And uh, that's what they did. They uh, Years ago, they used to have these little plastic, uh, like, I don't know what you call them, but they'd put a joint in it and they'd screw the top on it. had a little hole. Okay. And they'd squeeze it and it shoots smoke out so that's what they were doing i remember it still to this day and because of the weed and because of the alcohol uh i I was out of my mind and i remember it was at a hotel and i went down the hall couldn't walk and when i made it out into the parking lot i remember falling down and beginning to throw up and uh that was around five years old yeah i i I blame my uncles You know, I, I could have been a lot smarter. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a construction guy now. I'm in, uh, I'm in safety, but I'm in construction. And I probably could have been a lawyer if they didn't blow that stuff <laughs> in my face at such a young age. But you, you and then you you went on. And, and, and where did your story start after that? You you, you became so, a young kid exposed yeah, to that still? Yeah, I did, obviously I didn't become an alcoholic or a drug addict overnight. But it definitely bit me in a direction, right? I grew up in an environment where that was my exposure. That's what I saw that was modeled in front of me. And as a kid growing up, when the people that were older were getting stoned and high at the party, I'm the little kid running around, stealing their weed and stuff, and taking it outside and meeting with my friends. And sometimes people would give me joints and stuff. My mom never did that when I was a kid, but everybody else around did. 
And so that began the cycle in my life. And then when I was, I, I got a skateboard for Christmas when I was 10. And so obviously that changed everything. That lit a fire on the inside of me. When I started skateboarding, I, immediately I, for Christmas, I, I took it outside, started skating on the sidewalk and in the driveway. And Did you fall in love right away? Instantaneously. Really? Yeah, I, was, I would take like pieces of plywood, lean it up against a wall or a tree. So you and, must have been a tough kid because you know? skaters are tough. That, that was my thing. I, I, I played sports, but I tried skating a few summers, and I, I couldn't take falling down, man. I mean, getting jacked up. Yeah, that's part of it. That's part yeah. of it. I mean, you got to be tough. It's eventually going to happen. Like I yeah. tell everybody, skaters are tough. I mean, you have to be tough to, to be a skater. Yeah. And you, you fell in love with it instantly. Instantaneously. And so that became, became my whole life. I didn't just skateboard. I became a skateboarder. I embraced every part of the culture. Now, was you this know? back in... It was in Alabama. In Alabama. I was living in Alabama. A great skate culture there? or No, I was the only kid at school. I would go to school wearing skater shorts, carrying a skateboard, had skateboard t- skater t-shirts, carrying you know skateboard magazines. The only skater in the whole, church, uh, the whole school, you know? Wow. And, um, and what, you were just picking <clears throat> up the culture from the magazines? From the magazines. And they, they right after that... They built, uh, probably a couple years later, they built a skate park in our town. Oh, wow. And it was a good skate park. People would come from all over the Northeast. Uh, they'd drive from Florida, from Georgia, every weekend. There'd be people from Tennessee, everywhere, there skating. And uh, it was just a whole scene. It was very cool. Were you good right away? Oh, I mean, I progressed. I got, so that was the first team I was on, Flying Wheel Skateboard team. And, uh... And then some of them. At was, what age? I was, I would say, 12. Oh, so you were, yeah. Yeah, 12 I mean, years it's old. Not bad. Yeah. And then, um, and then other like uh, teams like GNS or different teams, they would go on tour, right? And they would come through, the, they'd do the skate park tour. And then GNS came. There was uh, Dennis Martinez, uh, Tony Jutan, uh, uh, Steve Cathy. All of these guys were part of GNS back in that day. And um, so that was my local park. So I was shredding with those guys. Oh, so yeah. I mean, I had the you're park. The, you're the man. At the, I had at the, the park, park wired. And <laughs> so that's where I got started. What would be equivalent to flow? You yeah. know, they didn't call it flow back then. Yeah. You know, but so that's where, you know, I got boards and stuff and then gyro wheels. Uh, so here's what happened. I'll tell you this funny story. Yeah. So. One of them, can't remember which one it was now for the gyro wheels. He's like, dude, I want to hook you up, gyro wheels. I'm like, yeah, I'm down. So he hooked me up. I got the gyro wheels, right? And then I think it was Steve Cathy, the yo-yo wheels. And he he's all, man, I, I want to hook you up. You're shredding yo-yo wheels. I'm like, down. I'll take it. Hook right? me up. And so they go get into their van to leave, and they're talking like, yeah, we hooked the kid up. And and uh, they're like, yeah, I hooked him up on gyro. And he's like, wait a minute, I hooked him up on yo-yo. <laughs> and they, so they stopped, they came back. You can't be on both, you got to pick one. Oh, you know? Who'd you pick? Gyro. <laughs> yeah. That's funny, yeah. man. Hey, a kid's going to take whatever he can oh, get. Oh, yeah, at, I was stoked. Time, right? yeah. Like, okay, sure. You know, you know, I'll put both your stickers on my skateboard. <laughs> so you're skating, you're figuring it out. Are, are you, let's see, are you the happy-go-lucky skater? Are you... Skate and destroy skater. No, I, I always had, I, I would say I was both. 
Both? Okay. You know, I was always, I was definitely a rule breaker. You know, yeah. I was definitely, I marched to my own beat, you know, and um, I did my own thing. But so when the skate park, park was closed, we had barge in anyway, right? We'd spend yeah. the night all night long sleeping in the, sleeping at the skate park, skating all night. And police would come and we'd run off as little kids. And so I was always getting in trouble because of skateboarding. And, um, but I was, I wasn't trying to mess stuff up. Yeah. You were trying to destroy it on purpose. Yeah. Just but, there. But definitely, you know, there was a, a big season, like in part of my skateboard time, you know, I still skate, but the, uh, it, I mean, if you skated, you were frowned upon right. by society. Yeah. I mean, I went to jail for skateboarding on the sidewalk in Newport Beach. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, at one time, it was it was just get these mangy kids out of here. Yeah. Right. It was just bad news. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's it was it was taboo to to be around those kids. It was bad. Yeah, that's what they looked at us like. We were. Uh, that's what we were. We were bad. We were going to corrupt. If your kids got around us, we were going to corrupt them. No, yeah. nobody's looking for you. Your mom's not looking for you, right? You're just, this is your new family, the skate yes. the skate crew yep. that you're hanging out with. How, so, do, how does that start going? So I moved out here to California. My mom, you know, she uh, she's a professional lady. And even though she was a hippie, she became a nurse. And so she's like, oh, my son loves skating. And it's going good for him. Uh, matter of fact, I'd like to be in California. Wait, so she took you to the, the basically the mecca of skateboarding. Yes, yeah, we moved to Newport Beach. Just for you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, so we moved out here, and one of the first guys that I ended up connecting with was Tony Alva. And uh, and so, you know, he became one of my best friends. And wow. so, you know, here he was, the guy that I always looked at in the magazines and stuff, and now he's the now he's guy that, yeah, yeah. And so when I moved out here, um, I was 15 and living in Newport Beach. And then that's when also I got introduced to cocaine. I was skateboarding on the boardwalk one day and one of my neighbors, she said, she called me over and she said, hey, Jay, you want to get high? And I, you know, I'm by this point, I'm years into smoking weed, right? How old are I, you? At this point, I was 15, 15. And, uh, so I said, sure. Why not? And we went into her house and she had this huge glass table and she chopped out, chopped out a line of cocaine and she rolled up a hundred dollar bill. She snorted a line of cocaine, said, here, you snort a line. And I was like, Hmm, I've never done this, but wow. What could be so wrong? I mean, here's this lady. It looks beautiful lady. Here's this, uh, expensive house we're in seems right no big deal right? yeah no big deal and i remember snorting that line and several more throughout that day and then later on that night i remember because it made me feel so good and and i said thanks i, I love this this is great and that that began the cycle wow that nearly destroyed my life that began what turned into a total of 12 years that nearly destroyed me it's it's so crazy because uh the introduction, right? I, I had somebody come in here too. A lot, a lot of times, they, they said, I think twice. It was, it was cocaine, and then it was, uh, no, it was, yeah, it was cocaine. And then it was meth, and I was like, "What were you looking for?" Because I wasn't looking for anything. All I was, I was introduced to this like nothing. I was smoked a little weed, drank a little wine, and here, try this. But the high just got me to a whole, a whole another point, and I, I couldn't figure out. 
I couldn't get to that point again. And I was kept trying to get to that point, and I just couldn't get to that point again. Is that how it is? Well, similar, you know, in the beginning, because Scripture says that there's pleasure in sin for season. So there's a season of time, man. When yeah. you have, you're having a blast, right? Even if you stay up all night and don't get any sleep, you know, you're 15, 16. It's not that big of a deal, right? You do that on one weekend or whatever, you know, or you go home at 3 in the morning. Uh, but you wake up the next morning thinking, wow, that was killer. I want to do that again. And um, so in the beginning, it was fun. But then little by little, the fun begins to just kind of disappear. And then you begin to be driven and it takes over more and more over your life and rather than having fun because I went from so this lady was, was super wealthy and she was older and she would carry me around in limousines so I'm riding around in limousines I'm 15 16 years old I'm drinking wine and champagne and snorting cocaine I'm going into clubs I'm not near old enough wow. but I'm getting in and and then it went, so it went from, I could socialize, I loved hanging out, I loved going to clubs, I loved going to parties, but then it began to turn. Then I began to get paranoid. Then I didn't want to be around people. And then, and this happened over a process of time. And and then I thought people were after me. Then I thought they were outside the windows, peer, peering in the window. Mm. And I'm tormented, my mind's tormented, my life's tormented. And there definitely reached a few moments at different points throughout this, because once I would do that, I would try to pull back a little bit, try to get a hold of myself. And and I could do that for a minute, and then it would just be the wheels would come off again. And uh, and then eventually it led me to a point where uh, I was living in Hollywood, uh, very well, had well-known people that lived with me. And, uh, and I was just a drug addict, man. Uh, every how old are you at this time? I was uh, 21. So was young, young, and you've been on drugs for how many years already? Well, started cocaine when I was 15, you know. You're going on like and, six years of cocaine use. Yeah. And so I would get up because of just the world I was a part of, skating, all that. I would get all these different opportunities, you know, to do different things that would provide income, right? Uh, like I got hired to play the main character in this video for a band. And so we had worked on it, and they said, okay, in the morning, we're going to shoot in downtown L.A. You got it. Call time is 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't, it was like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Because super early in the morning. Like, I'm barely going to bed at that time. Yeah. yeah. And so, but what I, what I do, I went, and so I'm thinking, man, I'm going to go out. I'm going to drink. Next thing you know, I'm doing coke. And then I said, well, I'm going to go home at 1. Then I'm going to go. And then I stayed up all night long. And I showed up at the call time, and I was jonesing. I was so high on coke. I'm grinding my teeth back and forth. Oh. forth. I, you know, I can't remember what I'm supposed to be saying. And eventually they got so disgusted, they just said, you know, it's go. Get out of here. And, uh, and so that's – and everything began to fall apart. And that's when I left California. I went back to Alabama thinking, I, I got to get it, my life together. It must have been culture shock to go back to Alabama from Hollywood, the height of everything, and then go to Alabama, well, correct? Yeah, so I was in the middle of the punk rock, rockabilly scene, skating, all that just went together, right? So I go back to Alabama. I'm wearing leather plant pants and <laughs> dyed blue-black hair, and I got on, you know, like skull earrings. And uh, You fit in well. <laughs> oh, yeah. So 
So to me, to get it together was to quit doing coke, just drink and smoke weed. Okay. And so I remember, you know, liquor stores in Alabama are real liquor stores. You know, out here, you call a liquor store, it's you go buy gum and potato chips, but that's all you get in the liquor store is liquor <laughs> in Alabama. So I'm in the liquor store in Alabama, and I remember this just this redneck dude stand by me, and he's looking at me in these leather pants and blue black hair. And he just makes some off-colored statement like he had never seen a guy like that. Right. right? And, uh, and, I can only imagine. It. Yeah, yeah. And then you so you're in Alabama, and and are, are you you're, you're alone? Well, my grandparents live there. Okay. And uh, then that's where I met Christy, who is my wife. That's where we met. I met her through some mutual friends because what happened was I started getting my connection here in California, shipping me coke. Uh, overnighting oh. it to Alabama. So I'm selling it to people in Alabama. So I'm selling it to support my habit. And so she, risky, man. Oh, that was stupid. Beyond stupid. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would get it FedExed overnight and then I'd go get get it FedExed in one of my friend's names and not tell my friend. Oh. Then I'd go get my friend and pull up in front of FedEx and say, go in there, there's a package in your name. Oh, man. And, uh, so that's stupid, right? Be, I mean, dumb. And uh, the uh, so my life had just gotten so out of control and it led me to the point where I did get arrested and I, I ended up, uh, I had a half a pound of weed here that, you know, people wouldn't, oh, that's, you probably, I don't know what kind of trouble you get in now, but, you know, but I, I got jail time. They sentenced me to two years and, mm. but the judge said, go back to California, never come back to Alabama and I'll give you, you know, that's that's what you got to do. If you come back, you're going to serve. Oh wow! Uh, your time. If you get caught, you come back. You get caught, you're going to serve your time. And so I left, went back to Hollywood. But Christy I, came with you? No, no. Okay. She was living with her dad. Okay. She, I met her when she was 17, and uh, so I'm a few four years older, I think. And um, the uh, or a little bit, yeah, somewhere around there. And uh, but I've fallen in love for, with her, so I would stay up all night in Hollywood and I would call her when she's waking up in Alabama. I'm going to bed. She's getting up. And next thing you knew, I'm back in Alabama. And then I get arrested again and end up going and standing before the same judge. And he said, you're doing your time. And that day I walked into the courtroom. I didn't walk out. They handcuffed me and I began a two year sentence. I spent six months on a two year prison sentence. And I, I, I mean, I'd been to jail for public intoxication or, you know, just you go in, you get booked and you get out and it's no big deal. Kind did, of stuff. Did, did the look go over well in prison? Well, <laughs> well, what I, what I did was uh, I shouldn't have done this. My, uh, my probation officer, she saw what a ditch, couldn't believe it because and I'm not a skinhead, but I'm like, I went in there, I got the I got the. I cut all my hair off. You cut your hair off. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And you have great hair, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she saw it. She's like, what are you doing? Oh. Her sons were skaters, and they knew who I was. And so I had a little bit of favor there. And uh, actually, she went to bat for me and got it worked out for me to be a trustee at the county jail uh, for my sentence. To, to my sentence. Wow. Yeah. How was that in jail? Well. Did you... Did, did you I was. Did you learn a lesson? Or no, it, it, I didn't. Oh, okay. I should have. So I was selling drugs in jail. 
because I had access to the outside world. And, uh, and so I would get guys to drop off weed because I saw how much money I could make. And I would get guys to drop off weed. I had access to the outside because my job as a trustee, I would fill up the cars. When the patrol cars would come in, I'd fill them up in between shifts. So there was a drop-off spot. I would go get it, and I would smuggle it in. I, had, oh, I was all, constantly changing the ways I'd smuggle it in. And then I would sell these almost tiny little things for $5. This is a long time ago, right? So, so Pastor Jay yeah. is a gangster. <laughs> I mean, in, in all, all the sense of everything. I mean, yeah. I mean, we hear these crazy homeboy stories of the neighborhood stuff, but... I wasn't that, a real gangster. I, well, I, I mean, yeah. everything you're telling me is like, yeah. Yeah, I went to jail for drugs. I, I, I got busted. I'm selling drugs in jail. I mean, pretty close. But you weren't yeah. in a gang. That's about the only thing. No, so I had a guy that he was an enforcer for a bike club. He was the guy that would do all the distribution oh, nice. inside the jail for me <laughs> and collect all the payments. Yeah, see? Yeah. Jay was a gangster. Just an Alabama gangster. That's what it is, yeah. man. You had a biker gang. That's it. Backing you up. You get busted. You're in jail. Didn't learn your lesson. No. Sh- Christy's it, still with, hanging on? Yeah. I mean, we were... Our, we were we would we were attracted to each other, but then you know it's kind of we were apart. But then we'd be together, apart and be together. And obviously, she like liked me, loved me, but she knew like this dude's a little. He's he's at another level. Yeah, toxic. And um, so no, I was deceived. Every one of these steps. Yeah, my deception grew stronger and stronger. You know, because really, I just wanted to have a good time. That's all I, I mean, unfortunately, I didn't have, you know, I wasn't a long-term strategist. I wasn't thinking I want to buy houses or I want to build a 401k and get a retirement. I just wanted to have fun in the moment. I wanted to skateboard. I wanted to party with my friends. I wanted to have a good time every day. It's not thinking about tomorrow. Not thinking about tomorrow. And yeah. And so the deception grew stronger and stronger and the addiction grew stronger and stronger. So even though I didn't do coke when I was incarcerated, you know, the deception grew heavier. And within a week of getting out, I was back doing coke. And the next thing, the next thing you knew, you know, it just, it led to those moments where I would be out for two and three days. Wow. And then Christy and I eventually did get married. And then when I had my first child, my son, you know, that's, you would think that, because I really... Love my wife with all my heart. Did back then, do today. And when I had my son, I love him with everything. And I wanted to be a good husband. wanted to be a good dad. But I wasn't able to be. Wow. And because it got such a hold of me. And I was a functioning addict for the most part. There would definitely be those times for two or three days where I'd disappear. You know, or I couldn't make it to yeah. go work. But I knew how to keep a hustle going, and it was, it was heavy on your. I mean, it was taxing. You know, just the turmoil right. of having to hustle to just keep a roof over your head and the bills paid and stuff like that because of the life that I was living. Because any money I got, I blew it on coke. Cocaine's an expensive addiction, yeah. and uh, I wasn't robbing stores or things like that. And um, so, the last two years that I was using. I, I'm like, I can't take this anymore. And I eventually, I reached a point 
This is where it takes you. Because the enemies come to kill, to steal, to destroy. Starts out seeming fun. He doesn't show you the end of the road. But all choices have consequences. And the choices that I made from when I was a little kid to that moment when I was 15. And I I said, I'm going to make a decision to do this. It looks right. seems right. It's fun. When I made that choice that led to other choices that led me to this moment right here. I became a product of my influence and my choices. But there, but you can't, at this point in my life, I can't blame my mom. I can't blame my cousins. I can't, but it's my choices that have got me to where I am. And I was, I was so at the end of myself. I was tormented. And I felt there was the couple of moments I had this, the worst. I think I really believe this is the worst feeling anyone could ever have. And it's a feeling of hopelessness. Mm. When you feel that there is no hope and the pain that you feel inside your emotions is so crippling. And that's, I mean, I hurt so bad that it felt physical. But if I'd gone to the doctor, they'd say physically, there's nothing wrong with you. And I felt so hopeless. I really felt this. And by nature, I am not a suicidal, depressed person. But I thought about, I thought the only way to escape the pain that I'm in would be to end my life. Yeah, because you've you've tried to fill the gap with everything else, partying, drugs, and you're still hopeless. Yeah. I always, you know, people that attempt suicide or commit suicide, I go, do you, do you realize the end of the rope they have to come to, you know, that, that they're even considering it? it it's yes. so much pain and and sorrow for so long that it's there's there's no outlet there's nothing left yeah i mean think about that hopelessness you have zero yeah. hope that is the worst feeling in the world jesus has come to give us hope and hope of a better life hope of eternal life a future hope of a, yeah and so i literally felt that i was trapped in my addiction i was trapped in my pain and i don't want to be that way and here's what happened. I, I'd, So I started putting myself in treatment centers. I started working programs. I started uh, picking up the phone number. You see the... Call the, this number. The, call this number. I did it, man. I called everybody. I went to doctors. I went to psychiatrists. I went to psychologists. I went to the program. And I did everything, but none of it was working for me. I was able to abstain from these moments, these small moments of time. But I had a monster on the inside of me, and I felt it. The whole time there was a war, and what happened was that I came. I came out of a treatment center, voluntarily placed myself in it. Came out, ended up going out all weekend doing cocaine. Came home. It was nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. I remember sitting there on the edge of my bed. I looked at the clock that was in the room, and it said nine a.m. And it was like literally like scales fell from my eyes, mm. and and I was confronted with what my choices were doing and the pain that I was creating in my wife's life. And my baby was just an infant. And and I realized I'd blown all of our money. And he's completely dependent on me to provide diapers, food, protection. And I felt like such a loser in that moment. It crushed me. That moment broke me. And in that moment, sitting on the edge of my bed, because the people that I loved, 
You know, my, my grandmother, she's the only person who never turned her back on me. She should have. If I were counseling my grandmother to help somebody like me, I would say, you need to, you need to put that dude out. Cut, cut him loose. Yes, because I did things that hurt her. And, and she kept taking it because she loved me. Wow. And, uh, and my wife didn't leave me. And the only reason she didn't leave me because she was afraid that I'd die if she did. Wow. And Because um, that's how bad I got in my addiction. And what happened was that sitting on the edge of my bed, I just broke. In that moment of being confronted, I'm like, because I never, I always thought my choices were just affecting me. I'd never really understood how much they affect others. You, you have a baby, yeah, right in front of you, yeah, dependent on you, like you said, yeah. And Christy loves me, right? She gave she, but she didn't give her heart and her life to me to be married to that life. Yeah, you know, she didn't want to marry a drug addict. She wanted to have the storybook marriage. And so in that moment, it just broke me, and I didn't know how to change. I, I didn't. I, I didn't know. What do you feel do. That, that was the Holy Spirit just kind of like starting to, trying to break you down a little bit? Looking back on it now, I know it was God, 100%. Because what I did was I'd never read a Bible. The only Bible I'd ever seen was in my grandmother's living room. And it was one of those, like, decoration coffee table type. A huge one. Huge. Yeah. Had a holographic image of Jesus nice on the front. pictures, yeah. And he's, I mean, <laughs> everywhere you are in the room, he's looking at right. you, right? You know, I never opened that up. And uh, so I'd never read a Bible. And in that moment, I started begging. I looked up at the ceiling. And I didn't, I just said, God, every part of me was desperate. And I said, and I was, I mean, I Every ounce of my being, wow. I beg God to say, if you're real, why won't you please help me? And I was, because I was never anti-God. I was never against God. If somebody said they were into Jesus or God, I mean, you could say you're into anything. If you were said you were into a Buddhist, I'd been like, cool. You know, I mean, it, that stuff didn't, I didn't think about that. Right. But in that moment, I, I just said, God, please, if you're real. And I can look back on that moment. And see where God heard that prayer. And God began to orchestrate the events of my life. Wow. Even when I didn't realize he was orchestrating the events of my life. I mean, if you look back, even 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 the the early red flags, getting caught, you know, giving you a chance. You know, it seems yeah. like the Lord kind of does that with us. You know, it's like, here's a little stop sign for you. You know, like, hey, a little red flag for you. And then, it, you know, then it's, a, then it's a street light. Then it's a whole... You know, roadblock, do not cross. And we still cross it sometimes. And, and finally, we hit the, the brick wall. Yes. You know? And that's where I was. It was that nothing nothing had worked, right? Nothing, zero. Nothing worked. And, and I truly didn't want to be the way I was. And nobody, regardless of what they're addicted to, wants to be that way. Once you reach the level, and you will reach it, you know, because that's where it takes you. Once you reach the level of being addicted to anything, there is no pleasure in it. There's nothing but pain and disappointment and heartache. Not only is it hurting you, but everybody connected to you. But I can look on that moment because there's a verse in the Bible. Obviously, I didn't know it was there. But it says, if you search for God with all your heart, you'll find him. And I can look back on that moment. Every, every ounce of my being was calling out to God. I'm like, if you're real, you got to help me. If not, it's over. It's, it's over. And God heard that prayer. And so, you know, you forget about those desperate prayers. The people that pray those prayers, oh, God, please, if you'll help me, I'll never do it again. 
I forgot about that prayer because I recuperated, went to sleep, recuperated physically, mentally, and you know, I was ready back next weekend. Hey, let's go party. But God didn't forget about that. And probably, I think it was somewhere around two weeks later, God put a man in my path that shared Jesus with me in a way nobody ever shared Jesus. And it just, that moment captured me. Wow. And I didn't know what was happening in the moment. But as I listened to this guy talk about a personal relationship with Jesus, he he described Jesus in such an intimate way. He was talking about his relationship. I mean, I thought, okay, Jesus is going to walk into the room the way he was talking about Jesus. Right. I had never heard this like this. You know, I knew yeah, that it's it's amazing those people <clears throat> like that, right? Yeah, they're just so they're just obedient, average everyday people, and they're just obedient to. Hey, there's this guy. Let me let me tell him about Jesus. And that's what God did. Wow. God told him, said, tell him how I changed your life. And he started sharing his story. And I'm sitting there listening. I'm sitting in a, in a chair. And I'm listening to this guy. And then God, I mean, this is for real. I don't know how this happened. I'm going to tell you it happened. And it really happened. I'm sitting there. And I heard words come out of my mouth that I did not consciously decide to ask. Wow. The, the t- word said, how do I get saved came out of my mouth. And, and it scared me. I thought, what just happened? I wanted to grab those words. I'm like, wait a minute, what is this? Because if you asked me if I was saved, I wouldn't have known what saved meant. If you said, hey, dude, are you saved? I would have thought, saved from who? Saved from what? <laughs> yeah. Who's after me, right? And... Uh, but I, it was almost like I could watch those words go into that man's ear. And his whole expression changed. And he said, you want to be saved? And I remember when he said that to me, I was confronted. But it wasn't in a negative way. It was with the most, it was the most beautiful, loving moment. And I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I don't have the words to articulate it, but I felt confronted in a loving way. It was like love was touching me. Grace, I know what it is now, is God's grace. And I remember responding to him because I had the thought. I said, well, if this is what I got to do to go to heaven, I said, well, yeah, I'd want sure. that. And, but here's the thing. I'd actually made arrangements to meet a dope dealer. <laughs> and, and in my mind, I'm thinking, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get saved and go meet my drug connection. <laughs> and because I didn't know, right? I didn't know that. Right. I didn't know. I'm going to heaven and I'm going to go get high first. Right? Yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever going to heaven means, right? <laughs> yeah. This is going to be great. And he opened up his Bible to Romans chapter 10 and he read those verses. He knelt right beside me, he read those verses. And he said, Okay, pray this prayer with me. And I repented of my sins. He led me in a prayer, you know, that if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and you confess him with your mouth, you'll be saved. And so I'm saying, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. And this man's kneeling beside me, praying this prayer with me. And I felt, it felt, I felt all the hurt, the pain. It just came out of me, off of me. It was literally, I mean, it felt like, it felt like the biggest weight just came off of me. And then this man, so here, this guy's an entrepreneurial businessman, very successful person in the community. He pulls out his keychain, and on the, he's got this little vial on the end of it of anointing oil. And he anoints my what? head 
Yeah, and he lays his hands on my head and starts praying for me to be. He, first, he broke off witchcraft and curses, and and then he starts praying for oh, me man. to ba- be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know. I never read. I didn't know who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Moses, or anybody was. And he's praying for me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and God fills me wow. with the Holy Spirit right then. And I stood up, and I was higher than I'd ever been on anything. And I know what it, it was. It was pure, right? It was is from heaven. Yeah. It was Acts chapter two. It was the yeah. Holy Spirit, and I had joy unspeakable. I'd experienced God in a life changing way, and that changed everything. And so when I stood up, I'm like, something happened to me. And he's right. like, he's like, yeah, the encounter, the encounter. It, it, it's so amazing. In this podcast, we've talked about the encounter so many times. You know, we've talked about the encounter with church kids, you know, um, just going to church, but they never have the encounter, right? And and I had I had two church kids that, that came back to the Lord after being lost for, for many years, right? And I asked them, did you have an encounter? No, we were just going to church with our, with our families. It was just church. We raised our hands, sing songs. And when we got teenagers, we were hanging out in the back of the church, and then we yeah. left the church. And, yeah. and 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 I was like, "Wow!" And, and and I go, "I had an encounter, right?" Cam had an encounter. I, I can remember he was like four or five years old. The Holy Spirit touched him, and never left. <clears throat> so I go, we get done with the podcast, and I'm thinking, "Did, did my daughter have the encounter? Or did you? Do you have a?" And I go and ask my wife, and I said, "Melissa, did you have an encounter as a kid?" Would you? She says, "Yes." When I was ten years old, she goes. Even though I rebelled in my teenage years, that always kept me. There was I, I knew it was real, <clears throat> and I knew that ultimately I had to come back to Jesus, and it saved me plenty of times of the Holy Spirit saying, "Uh-uh, don't do that." And I said, "It's the encounter. We 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 have to have that encounter." And you had that. One hundred percent, I had had that. That was a radical, radical transformational moment. It was like the. It was like Saul on on the road to Damascus. It was the yeah. glory of God coming down. And everyone can have that encounter. And there are obviously these moments where the encounters can be uh, greater than others. But when you have a personal relationship with with God or anybody, the, the, these relationships are built on encounters. Right. You know, they're, it's about coming together, experiencing and that moment, the Holy Spirit filled me up. So, obviously, I have no point of reference for any of this, I don't, the, the Bible or nothing. This is just all brand new. And I get in my car and I start driving. Probably, I don't know, I didn't drive very far. But literally, all the glory of God filled my car. And and I let go of the steering wheel and I throw my hands up straight in there. And I just, I start screaming at the top of my lungs. I'm driving down the road. And I don't know what saved meant, but I know Jesus take the will. Yeah, I'm like, yes, I'm like, well, whatever saved means, I am it. Wow, I got it, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, "I'm saved! I'm saved! I'm saved! I'm saved!" Going down the street, and every time I said it, it was like God's presence got stronger. Wow, and and ever since that moment, I've been addicted to the presence of God. So I was an addict, right? God didn't take my addictive nature away. God actually gave me that addictive nature, but it was only supposed to be fulfilled from experiencing Him in His presence. 
So good. Yeah. It's 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 so amazing that you said God gave you the addictive behavior. Yeah. Which he turned around for the good, right? Yes. And now you're addicted to him. 100%. I talk to guys all the time. They 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 come and they and they're here and they take that hustle they had from from trying to get money for drugs or whatever they needed and it was it was an all out they they would get that drug no matter what they had to do, right? Yeah. They come to the Lord and they're just sold out the same way. Like that that behavior the Lord takes that and just flips it, turns it around and said, "Okay, you remember that hustle you had over here? Now we're going to use that hustle for 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 my glory." Yes. Basically. Yeah. So sounds like that's what happened. 100%. I went all in. I'm like, "Well, if I will do some of the things I did to get high and live the way I was living, why wouldn't I do that type of same passion and effort to get to know Jesus?" And so that man, he gave me his Bible that night. He put a marker in the book of John. To start reading right here. That was the only instructions I had. And so when I left, I went and told Christy what happened. Did she, she believe you? Oh, uh, she thought I was high. <laughs> she thought I was on drugs. And she like, don't tell anybody, go home. And uh, I witnessed to my first person right after that. Uh, I walked outside where she was, and there were these people I knew. And, and they said, hey, Jay, we're about to go to a party. You want to go? I said, you're never going to believe what happened to me. Because this is for real. I thought I tapped into this ancient secret that nobody knew about. And I'm like, everybody's going to want this. They're just, they're all I got, they, they're going to want it. And uh, so I remember I told the guy, it was him, this guy and his girlfriend, and immediately conviction came over him. And he's like, Jay, listen, I'm a backslidden Christian. Wow. And uh, <laughs> he, what just happened to you is real. And uh, I need what you got. And he said, uh, "This is this is this is too crazy." Yeah, right. You 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 want to go get high? This guy stops you. He leads you to the Lord. That's that's one thing. Yeah, right. You get filled with the Holy Spirit massively. Not that the, yeah. when you get saved, you don't get filled with the Holy Spirit, but sometimes it's a few weeks later, and you you get a touch of the Holy Spirit, and you kind of understand. That you get filled. Yeah, you're driving home. Yeah, again filled up. Yeah, and then you basically witness to somebody all in the same day. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. And it didn't stop there. So I went home and uh, went home, went into my bedroom. Once again, having no point of reference for any biblical expressions yeah, of crazy. anything. And so all I had was this Bible. I went into my bedroom. I put it on the bed, opened it up right where he said. I got on my knees and I remember lifting my hands. He's clear as today. I remember being on my knees, lifting my hands. I said, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know you better. I want to walk wow. with you. And I just started pouring my heart out. Then I started reading, and I was so captivated. It literally, it was like the pages were coming alive. And I remember this probably happened, without exaggeration, probably happened three, four times. So I read the Bible. I'm reading it, and I would put the marker in. I would close it, and I'm going to go out of the bedroom. And I remember putting my hand on the doorknob. I'm like, I wonder what it says on the other side of the page. And I went back, and I opened it up, and I would devour it more. And so for probably the first year, uh, I averaged reading the Word probably six hours a day. And I had it with me everywhere, everywhere. I was that dude that carried his his yeah. study Bible around. Yeah. And and you saw me with it. And if I had a moment of free time, I'm, I'm sitting there reading it. And that, because it just spoke to me. It gave me life. And it was so mind-blowing to me. I couldn't believe what I was reading. I was like, this is real. 
where my friends are. This is what it's saying about it. This is the way I was living. I can't believe that. And uh, was what, what did what was your family saying? Your your grandma, your mom. You know, were they well, were they tripping on, on on that? Yeah, they were. So they like my mom and other family members. They're like, Jane needs to get his life together. Obviously, right? Being a drug addict, he needs to get his life together. But they didn't want me to get it that much together. <laughs> they didn't want me to change that much. Now my grandmother was happy because literally it was overnight. It was instantaneous. Yes, just and and I'm witnessing all my whole family, right? And I was very raw. I mean, I was raw, like, y'all got to give your life to Jesus. Now we're going to go to hell. And uh, I don't want you going to hell. Please, let's pray. Let's give your life to Jesus. Hey, well, and, you're, you're in the Bible Belt. I mean, yeah. they preach like that down there. Yeah. And uh, and so, and Christy at first, though, she took a, oh, this is just another thing. It's just another, another AA. It's another treatment. It's another, because I was dragging her around to all those places for two years trying to change my life. And uh, so she's like, First, she's taking a watch and see, but she's like, this is not my husband. He's running around the house praying in tongues. He's reading his Bible. This dude is different. What is, I mean, it tripped her out. Right. And, and then, uh, so what happened was the day I was going to get baptized in water, uh, she was she was never out of control, right? She, was, she could go have a few drinks, you know, with her girlfriends. She'd come home, go to sleep. Well, she had done that Saturday night. I wake up Sunday morning. I'm like, come on, you got you to go to church with me. Nice. And uh, she didn't want to. I said, I'm getting baptized. And so, like, that's a great way to get them to come. And so she says, okay. Excuse me. So she says, okay, I'll come. And um, we sat in the back of the church. And the guy preached her whole life. Wow. And during the middle of his preaching, she pinches me. She says, you told him about me. I said, I, didn't. I said, all this guy knows is i got a family. He knows nothing. It's funny how the Lord works like yeah. that, right? So when when he gave the invitation, she responded, and she went down and got on her knees and gave her life mm. to Jesus. And so that day, we're getting baptized. There was a pool set up outside, and and she got she didn't have a change of clothes or anything. But she got, we got baptized together. Wow. Yeah. What an amazing story. Yeah. So she had the encounter. She, well, it was, it was a more of a progress for her. Right. Where mine was Damascus Road, right? Yeah. It was instantaneous, you know? Hers was more of a process. I mean, we all take it's, it. It's, it, the Lord works like that, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's like, I tell people they get saved and instantaneously they're, they're delivered from every single thing. And some people have to kind of work through that a little bit longer than others. Yeah. doesn't mean that the Lord's not working in them. 100% it doesn't mean he's not working. And the the end result of God's promises are the same for everybody. The process may be different, but the result is the same. When God promises freedom, he promises freedom. It may happen the way it happened for me, or it may happen in a slower process for somebody else. I don't know exactly why that is the way it is all the time, but I know as long as we stay faithful to serving Him and walking out the process, we get to experience the results. That's good. Yeah. That's so good. How did you end up back here? You know, what yeah. what, what what drove you to come back? So I was, uh, so my life has changed, right? God's blessing me. I got called into ministry. 
I'm traveling all over America and around the world, primarily youth, big youth events and stuff, sharing my testimony. Started out, because let me back up first. So, because I just want you to know this. First place I ever preached was in the housing projects where I was going to buy drugs. And I just wanted to go. So I went and got these two wooden speaker boxes. Well, I made them. And I got a realistic amp from Radio Shack. Went and bought an amp from Radio Shack. Got an adapter that plugged into a car lighter and a car charger. They used to call them cigarette lighters. Now they call them chargers. Right. And uh, so, uh, and two mic cords. And I went down into the housing projects where I'd been going for that last two years I was struggling, where I would drive through, buy dope, and keep going. And so I just went down there and I set those speakers out on the sidewalk. It was like Friday night, 10 o'clock at night or something. And I get that mic out there. I'm saying, and Friday all, night when everybody wants to party, right? There's everybody out there. <laughs> there's guys playing dominoes on the sidewalk. There's, you know, the drug dealers standing back in the in the, the shadows. Uh, shadow. there. Yeah, because he'd send out the miners to the cars. They'd run out to the cars because if they got right. caught, they're not doing time. And uh, so, and and I'm I'm a white guy in a, in a predominantly all black neighborhood, and so. You know, I'm, and they all knew me because I would go down there. I'd get out of my car and hang out with them. I'd go inside their apartments right. and stay all night with them and uh, with the drug dealers. And so the uh, so I go back down there. They're like, there's Jay. But I'm, this time I'm putting He's speakers back. out. He's back. Yeah. I'm putting my speakers out. Yeah. And all I knew how to say was, hey. And so I just, top of my lungs, I get the mic. I said, hey. I said, you know me. I said, Jesus is coming to my life and changed me. Wow. And people are like, what in the world is happening here? They thought I'd lost my mind. Yeah. And so that's where it started. But then churches and places would hear, they heard. So, so you were a preacher from the beginning. Yes, and didn't even know it. Yeah, you didn't You didn't know it. I mean, to, 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 have, to have enough uh, guts to, to go down to the project and set up speakers, build your own speakers, hook it up, and just start going for it. No, no, no outline, no phone to get notes off of just preaching from the heart. I mean, did you know, like, this is where I, this is where I want to go. This is, this is my calling. I just knew I wanted everybody to experience Jesus. That's all I knew. I'm like, everybody needs that. That I felt like they need, and I still feel that way. Yeah. It's, it's the truth. Everyone needs Jesus. And, uh, and I, and I wanted all of these people to experience him. I wanted them to have Jesus in their life, and uh, it, it's a little bit different, right? It's a, it's a, it's a little bit different when you're at the end of your rope, and then God's grace, mercy comes upon you. Like you said, you get fired up. Sometimes, you know, you have generations of Christians, you know, and and, and my son, and then and then his son, and we're, and we're we're kind of blessed. We we grew up in the church. Well, I didn't grow up like my my parents grew up in South LA. Yeah. You know, and and we didn't grow up like that. So you you, you have a little bit of uh, I want to say you don't you don't have that that oomph or what you don't you, you're not you don't respect the grace of God as much as somebody that just I'm lost. I was really bound, and now I'm found, and I got to tell everybody. Yeah. When you, when you're like second, third generation Christian, you're you know you're appreciative, but it's kind of like. Get in the car, right? The guy that works for the car, the kid that had to work for his car, like I worked for my car, had to work for it. Cam, I helped him out a lot. He he worked <laughs> for it, but I helped. Him, but I'm sure he's gonna buy his kid, be able to buy his kid a car. And yeah. here you go, kid. Right? It's kind of like that, isn't it? 
Yeah, you know, so there's just an appreciation. Yeah, appreciation. You know, that's the right word. I was, I was dead. I was lost. I was in darkness, and now I have life and freedom and salvation. And I desperately did not want to go back to where I was. And I was clinging to Jesus with everything within me. Yeah. So I think sometimes when you kind of grow up in it, there's just this uh, take it for granted. He's always there. Right. So because it's not necessarily like I don't remember life without him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But even people that have grown up in the church, I've watched them have encounters with Jesus. Yeah, we need that. That are so radical that their appreciation for him. It stokes a fire. Yeah. You know? We need that. Yes. I mean, I've I've told my kids, you know, when, when they were of age, you know, this is where we come from. Yeah. This is how your grandparents grew up in, in Watts in South L.A. This is what they went through. This is the things that God has saved us from. Yeah. The Lord saved us, changed the course of our family at this point when your when your pop got saved and your other pop got saved and if they didn't and they were rival enemies you know from different neighborhoods you know and i go and god changed their life and that's why we're saved today yes and, and i i think they they're appreciative of that you know we we don't we don't hide that from them and they know that yeah it was god's grace and mercy that saved our family and changed our the course of our life you know 100 percent. he wouldn't be who he is today yeah so the blessing, just like a generational curse, Scripture says uh, that iniquity, the curse, is passed down to the third and fourth generation. The word iniquity in the original Hebrew means bent or reared, has a twofold meaning. It's like, you know how Scripture says when you rear a child in the way they should go, when they're old they won't depart from it? That That's the same for good or bad, right? Yeah. You raise them in the ways of the Lord, it bends them in that way. Raise them in the ways of darkness, it bends them that way. So it's... That's one element of it. It's it's a learned behavior. Curse can be a learned behavior. But then number two, it's a spiritual force. Mm-hmm. It's something that drives somebody, right? And what happened was when, from what you're saying, when your pop's dad got when he got when you got he got saved, the the powers of the spiritual force were broken right. because of Christ and the work on the cross. That thing was broken. So the curse was broken, but then the scripture says the blessing of the Lord is passed down to a thousand generations. You know, household salvation is a promise from God. Acts 16.31 says, because you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus, you and your whole household shall be saved. And so even if family members wonder, God's hand is on that family. He will deal with a spouse or with the children. And, uh, there's a generation. There's a generational blessing. Now, when I discovered this, because I realized, because my grandfather, my parents, my my grandfather was uh, a functioning alcoholic. He was a pharmacist. They owned drugstores, and my grandmother was never addictive person, but my grandfather was a alcoholic. My mother was a heavy party, right, hippie, but she became a professional person. So that curse was being passed down. It was in me, and it doesn't always mimic. The generation that it came from, it can it can develop into something different. Right. My granddad was uh, alcohol, uh, but my main thing was drugs. And but it's the same curse; it wow. worked. Yeah. And when I realized this thing had been at work in my life, and now I'm saved, and it has no legal right to work in my life, I began to pray over my son. I, I would go in at night when he's a little baby, two years old, 
three years old, I'd lay my hands on him in his sleep. And I would say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I repent for every sin that I've ever done, every sin my wife has ever done, our families have ever done. And Lord, I pray that the power of the cross would stop all of the curses that have ever worked in our life. And Lord, I'm asking that you would release the blessing into my son and to my children's children when they come. And I began to confess that and pray over them like that. Because there is the power to be able to lay hands and release a blessing. Especially as a father. Yes, 100%. We have that authority and responsibility. Yes. So amazing. See, did you feel the calling to come to California? Yes. So here's the way. And and I would say why. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everybody said why, right? Right? Because I had bought, uh, so I had bought a home and, uh, and I had that kind of house that when you buy it, it's the kind of house you live in for the rest of your life. Sure. And so I had that house. And and I'm Jesus is doing wonderful things in my life. I was being used by him. You know, I was having what some people would say is success. And I was in a I was literally in a room about this size that I would go and pray in my house. And I was on my knees. And I remember feeling the Holy Spirit in my heart. It was just like the wind of the Holy Spirit beginning to blow. And I felt this gentle thing on the inside of me. I want you to go back to California, and I want you to start a church. And I came out of that prayer time, and I told Christy, and she knew I'd heard from God she could tell. And she she had zero desire to leave. Her family, everybody, her friends, you know, I'd lived here. She never had. And she had she she was completely content living where we were. And so God had to speak to her. And it didn't happen immediately because when God puts something on the inside of you, it's not always for right now. It's just to point you into the direction so that you're preparing yourself for that moment when the door opens. That's good. Yeah. Because I've had the Lord speak to me. And as a father, as a husband, you know, it's it's like I really feel this, you know. And, And you could tell your wife, she might have some reservations, right? Yeah. And, and and I'm saying, I always tell her, I've learned. You know, we've been married almost 27 years. Okay, love. Okay, that's just what I feel. You know, why don't you pray about it? Because I feel if it's from the Lord, He's going to let her know. It, it yeah. Eventually, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come over her a little bit more, right? Yes. So definitely 100%. And sometimes you want Him to hurry up and speak. <laughs> Lord, raise your voice or something. Right. But the... So we had lived such a hard life the two years, uh, first two years of our marriage. She, her life was hard because of the way I lived. I created a lot of pain and hurt. So now I'm radically on fire and saved and our life is getting better. You know, we can pay our bills without having to like, you know, feel a lot of pressure and sweat it out. How are we going to do this? Because I'm not blowing all my money on drugs. And now I'm saying we're going to sell our house. We're going to get rid of everything. We're going to drive to California without the promise of anything. Ugh. You know, that's scary. It is scary. And because, uh, you know, women by nature are nesters. I'm giving, I'm, I'm selling off her home. And I tell guys all the time, I said, look, man, you may work and you may help pay the mortgage or you may pay the mortgage, but that's not your house. Right. She lets you live in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's her nest, right? It's her, it's her spot. Get, yeah. I get that. Yeah. Totally. And so... Uh, she arranges it the way she wants to arrange it. Yeah. It's not arranged the way I want to yeah, arrange it. The garage is mine. That's yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. And so, but that's what happened, right? So 
God had to speak to her heart, and she really had to dig deep and be willing to die to what she loved. Wow. And what she loved wasn't bad. It wasn't sin. It was family. It was friends. Home. Home. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm going to walk away from everything. And I have zero idea. There's zero, there's no security. There wasn't a people saying, we, we, we didn't. Here's a hundred people for you. A hundred people. You know, you're come on staff. Nothing yeah. like that. Yeah, this, heard, this is old school, right? This, this is, is, this is before all of the modern tools that they have right, today. Right. To plant churches. And, um, so I love my pastor, still my pastor to this day, but their form their the way they sent you out was on a Sunday that you come and stand in front of the church. They pray over you and everybody says, we love you. And they cross some tears and go get it. Here's the U-Haul. Yeah. See ya. Yeah. If you get in trouble, call us and we're going to pray for you. <laughs> no. That's old school. Yeah. yeah. That's old school. Yeah. But you know, you know, I heard a guy not long ago of this before pandemic, literally somebody gave him a million dollars to plant a church. I, I've heard of stories like that. Yeah. 250,000 to start a church. And I'm like, it's pretty good. Yeah. You know, but uh, my, my father-in-law was a pastor for a long time and it was folding chairs in the old, uh, you know, uh, cellophane, uh, write the, write with the, with a Sharpie, write yeah. the, the words and it, it would, you know, project to the ceiling oh, yeah. where people could read the, yeah. the, the songs worship and, you know, it was maybe one organ player or whatever, but yeah, it was, it's old school. Yeah. So we started in a community center, uh, Edison community center, Huntington beach, a couple blocks off the beach. And, uh, you know, it really, in the beginning, this, it, it wasn't what I wanted, but it was what God said, don't build the church you want, build the church I want. Mm. And because if I built the church I'd want, I'd want uh, low-maintenance, middle-class people that were great tithers, came and worshiped God great on Sunday, and you wouldn't see them again until next Sunday, right? That's Sure. Yeah. Know? I mean, that's the dream. Yeah. <laughs> but God said, build the church it's I want. not reality, want. though. No, it's not reality anywhere. No. It's not reality. And uh, But what happened was that it... It looked like an AA meeting in the name of Jesus. And sometimes I think uh, even Jesus wasn't there. <laughs> but so guys would come in, no shoes. Sometimes they just had on sunglasses and shorts, and you could tell. They hadn't had a bath or shower all weekend. And they would just watch. And when the band would get through uh, playing, they would clap their hands like, wow, that guitar player was good. I'm like, no, <laughs> you don't clap for the guitar player. You're clapping, worshiping Jesus. And uh, so it was really challenging in the beginning. Did you ever feel like maybe we made a mistake? I never felt like I made a mistake, but I felt like, God, why has it got to be so hard? Okay. That's a, that's a big difference. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a big difference. Because I knew that I knew that I knew God spoke to me. Okay, yeah. And I'd always told God, God, I want to be the kind of guy you can drop off anywhere in the world. You can drop me off in housing projects. You can drop me off in the jungle. You can drop me off in the nicest neighborhood. Wherever you put me, whether it's in the boardroom or or just somewhere that's not as nice, I will build a church. I will serve you with all my heart. Wherever you want me, wherever you put me, I will serve you. It's kind of It's kind of a trip that you... You prayed that, and you go back to your past, and God put you in the prison. You learn how to deal with a few knuckleheads there, I'm sure. Yeah. You were in the projects, and different race of people. You know, you were in the skateboard community, and and how he kind of was like molding you yeah. to fit in and be able to adapt to whatever culture, people that you're around. Yeah, 100%. And that was that way before I became a Christian. 
I could go on yeah. any side of town. The and, rockabillies, yeah, the, yeah. The, the punk rock. I mean, rock. like when I lived here before I gave my life to Jesus, I had tons of friends that lived in Beverly Hills. I would go and hang out with them. I'd spend the night there, party in their houses, right? At, but at the same time, I could be in the, I'd be in East LA going to a punk rock club <laughs> yeah. and getting high with Tony Alva in my car while drive-by shooting happens, you know? <laughs> I mean. God works that way, though. Yeah. And that's how he built the church. Yes. And and so I started, even before I came out here, I started getting some of my old friends saved because God would lay them on my heart and I would reach out to them. And so quite a few guys I got saved even before I came out here. It's a good start. Yeah. Good start. God uses us for those little things and friends built the church. Friends, family members start building the church. How did you get to where you're at now? Yeah. Because... You have a great church, diverse church, yeah. which which is crazy. Yeah, you know, I, I I see your your building when I'm driving down the 55 and headed to Newport with my wife on a nice Sunday after church. Yeah, you know, and I've been following you. I mean, it, it's it's an amazing church. How how do you build a church and maintain a church like that? Yeah, uh, well, I wish I knew uh, then what I know now. It's a lot of lumps, right? Oh, one hundred percent. And the reason why is because. Everybody sees Pastor Jay on TV, TBN, the shows. Yeah. Uh, you're on a TV show, Preachers of LA. Um, and, and I had a guy here, a, a jiu-jitsu guy. He, he's, a, he's a world champion. He has a, a very successful gym. And he says, you know, a lot of times, you know, the people see my huge Jeep or see the gym or see my medals. And it's kind of like the iceberg effect. It's this little tip of the iceberg that's floating out of the water but underneath there's this giant piece of ice and that's all the hard work and that's all the trials and the tribulations and everything that I've went through and they just see this this peak. People see a lot of pastors and all they see is, oh, look at him. This no. is successful. You know, this is great. Everything's just fine for him. But it's not like that, right? It's not like that at all. If you're not called into ministry, ministry will destroy you. This is a hard life. Yeah. But it's an extremely rewarding life. There's a lot of hurt and pain in it for a lot of different reasons. But then there's a lot of rewards and joy in it as well. You know, when I see people get saved, when I watch marriages uh, get healed and uh, people's lives are transformed and changed and, and I'm watching people's relationship with God thrive or people become successful serving Jesus. When I watch that, it's rewarding, it's fulfilling. That's what keeps me going. And sometimes I, you know, I've, I've got this file of things where people send me messages. I print them out, whether they DM or email or something. I print them out and I hang, I hang on to them. Because when those moments get tough, rather than focusing on what's hurting me, I pull those things out and I read those people's stories. And I'm like, this is why I do what I do. Right. I don't do what I do because of what's hurting me. I do what I do because of people like this that are getting changed. So yeah, there's a lot of there's there's you know, there's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of rejection. There are a lot of things that a pastor will go through that it's heartbreaking. It's sad. I tell guys this all the time that are younger in ministry. I said, "Listen, I will do everything I can to equip you so that you can navigate through some of the challenges you're going to face." I wish I could tell you that I could prevent every painful thing from coming to you. Mm. But there's some things 
that God is going to require you to go through. It's going to happen. And, um, and so it's just part of it. It's like skateboarding, right? Yeah. If you want the joy of like grinding the coping, you got to be willing to take the fall. The glory. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not cut out for everybody, right? It is, you got to be called. Yeah. You have to be called. You know, if you're not called by God, please do not do this. Don't do it because if you're not called by God, it's going to lead to your own heartache and hurt. If you're married, it's going to create a lot of pain and hurt in your family. Could even destroy your family. It could lead to, it's definitely going to lead. If you're not called, it will definitely lead to people that somehow connect to you. It will end up hurting them. And it's, it's not, it's not always a guarantee of success, right? No, it isn't. I remember I went to speak one time at a church in, in San Bernardino and I, I, I pulled up and it was, it was in a bad neighborhood. <laughs> it was in a bad neighborhood. I mean, it was, it was bad. I go in there. There's probably the, the church is falling apart. It's a, it's an old beat up church. Church is falling apart. And, uh, there's probably like six people in there, maybe seven kids. You know, and, and, and got up there and I spoke and, and, and I, I asked one of the brothers, the pastor wasn't there that day. And I asked one of the brothers, I said, Hey, uh, uh, you know, you guys been here long? I'm thinking maybe they just started, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a brand new church, you know? Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. We've been here about eight years wow. and, and, and it jacked me up. And I, and I thought for a long time, you know, like, why is this guy doing this? Like what? Wh- what is the drive here? Like what? It really messed me up, and, and and the Lord convicted me a little bit on that later on, and 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 he says it's it's for those six people and those seven kids in there, and it was years later, I I go to another church, my friend's church, and uh, in San Jacinto, and he introduces me to this guy, and it just clicked. This was that guy's church. And I said, hey, did you have a church in San Bernardino? He goes, yeah, for a long time. You know, we shut it down. We're, we we joined Pastor Randy over here. And I said, okay, cool. And I said, you jacked me up, man, for a long time and in a good way because I realized that the gospel is not always a success in, in numbers. Numbers are great, right? But it's not always a success in what we see. I guess that's what I want to say. 100%. What, 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 I, what I see doesn't know where those people went or, or how those kids were touched by the Lord or anything like that. It, it, it goes past us. Yep. And, and the Lord just says, whatever you do, just do it for my glory. Do your best job and just let it go on before you. Yeah. And, and, and I thought, yeah, there's, there's no guarantees of success in our physical eyes, but in our spiritual eyes, there, there's always a guarantee. Yeah. Well, I think everybody wants to reach people, right? We all... And yeah, are there those guys whose motives are aren't what they need to be? One hundred percent, because for, there are few people. Their motive for success is numbers, right? I want to have the big church. I want to have this or that. What you know, they want to have that appearance of success. And there's nothing wrong with big churches because the bigger a church, the more people you're reaching. So it's about people. And uh, I want a big church, but not because I have a big church. Because the bigger the church, the harder, the heavier the load is. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. The average church in America is under 100. And the reason why is because the bigger you get, 
the more painful it is. I had somebody tell me this. He said, he said, you will never grow beyond your ability to handle pain. Your pain will always determine the level of your growth. And uh, he said, it's so, it's so yeah, true. Right? It's so true. Yeah. And um, so, because it's not about us. And the more you're used by God, it requires you to die even a great. So let me just say this. The entertainment church is dead. The pandemic has killed it. Yeah. Has some survived? Yeah. But it's over. It is over. Right. You know, this shallow, sugared down, come in, make you feel good, but there's no encounter, no transformation. Over. Those days are gone. I mean, thanks for saying that. Yeah. I, I, I think one thing that, that I've always liked about you, it's always been about the Holy Spirit. It's never been watered down in your preaching. And, and nothing like that. And and, and I, I, I appreciate you saying that because a lot of times it is watered down. And it, and it doesn't last. Or it doesn't give you any deeper meaning than, hey, let's show up on Sunday and feel good for a few hours and there's no other encounter for the rest of the week, right? Yeah. No, there is. I mean, because listen, I no. Okay, I'm going to take a little turn. I 100% believe we're in the last days. Yeah. And Matthew 24 describes the events that will take place like a woman going into labor. Pandemic labor pain. Well, in between labor pains is comfort. You feel it and it eases back. I really believe we're beginning to go back into it's easing up. Right. But there's another labor pain coming. And the closer we get, the more intense the pains get. That's what it's described like a woman going into labor. And so I want to prepare people to have a strong enough relationship with Jesus that regardless of what we face, because I really believe with all my heart, that we are about to encounter persecution. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm not trying to be a prophet. I hope I am wrong. But I believe that we're about to experience persecution. I believe that censorship, I believe that they are going to uh, say that if you were to post certain verses out of a Bible, God's word, right? that they will they will like, nope, we're, you can't hate post speech it. Or something hate like speech. That. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I believe that there's a potential to end up where they remove like Bible apps and stuff like that off of app stores and outlaw certain expressions of Christianity. And I believe that it will be a controlled narrative. And uh, do, do you think the church has been naive to that? Church in, in America. Yeah, church in America. Yeah, exactly. Church <clears throat> in America, right? I have a good friend. He. Uh, he was an apostle. He started probably more churches than any person ever in the history of the world in Vietnam. And he has spent over 10 years in prison. Here's why he went to prison, for preaching. Every time he went to jail, it's because he was preaching the love of Jesus. He didn't go to prison because he was selling drugs or a bad guy. He went to church because he was telling people, Jesus loves you and he wants to save you and he'll forgive you of your sins. He went to prison 10 years. So that guy would sneak around. He would sneak into villages in the middle of the night because he'd get people saved. And he would say, okay, I'm going to come. And he would tell them when he was going to show up. We'll meet in the middle of the night. And he would baptize people in the dark. It's secret. 
you know, uh, to try not to get caught. So those people like that, they serve Jesus because they're real. We have people in America that being complacent is real easy. Guy like you can't be a complacent Christian no. like what I just described. No. You either got to be all in or nothing at all. And um, and I think it could get there. And because and, we've come to a place in Christianity where we have progressive Christianity. Yes, you know where where oh that well that's okay. God God still loves you know that sin or he 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 loves those people. Don't worry about it. And 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 I tell people. It's impossible to have progressive Christianity. It's impossible because the Word of God doesn't change. God doesn't change, and that's the that's what progressive means. We're changing with the times, right? It, but but the, but the Christianity, Christ doesn't change. You know, repentance is repentance isn't a hateful word. Repentance is a graceful, love filled word. Repentance is a doorway that God has made available for everyone, regardless of their sin, to be able to come to him. God loves everyone. God doesn't matter. Where the gang member, homosexual, transvestite, regardless of ethnicity, you can be a corrupt CEO, you can be somebody that's living in poverty or anywhere anybody in between. Jesus loves everyone. And he'll accept you just like you are. But he loves you too much to leave you like you are. You know, Jesus said, if your hand calls you sin, cut it off. If your foot calls you sin, cut it off. You can't get any more hardcore than that. No. What he's saying is deal ruthlessly with it because sin separates us from intimacy with him. He still loves us, but what he hates has got into what he loves. Mm. And that's why he came, to get what he hates out of what he loves. Because he desires for us to have an encounter with him. So that we can have a relationship with him. So good. Yeah. I I feel that too. I, I, I think, you know, we are in the last days. I, I do hold to the promise of the last days he's going to pour out his spirit. Yeah. Talk a little so, bit about no, that. So, no, I believe that we are beginning. I think, so, uh, so Acts chapter 2 wasn't the, the fulfillment of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was the beginning of. Of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the closer we get to the last days, the greater the outpouring is going to be. It started in an upper room. It's going to end on a global level. So it went from the room to the world. And so I believe with all my heart that we're about to see, we're beginning to see our church. And I don't want to say this gratefully and humbly because I want Jesus to do more We've revival is broken out. A move of God is happening. People are coming. People are getting saved. People are being filled with the Holy Spirit. People are being delivered. People are being healed. And I want to just like God, please keep doing that. But I and I see it. Revivals are breaking out because the entertainment church has left people dissatisfied. That it's uh, it's Christianity light tastes good going down, but it's less filling. You know, mm. they walk in. Wow, that was nice. But then they wake up on Monday, there's no substance there. So people are passionate for Jesus. People are hungry for him. God, we got to have you. Lord, show up. Nothing is working. Life isn't working. Life is hard. Life is challenging. Jesus, we need you. And, and the Lord's showing up. 
and there's and God cares about everybody, so He's going to do everything He can to make sure on a global level that everyone hears the gospel right. and that the Holy Spirit is moving. So I believe with all my heart that there is going to come this, and I, I think it'll last for a window of time, a period of time. I don't think it's just going to be condensed to a real short period, but I believe it's going to be an extended period of time. We are going to see this massive worldwide global level outpouring of the Holy Spirit where you see massive amounts of people having authentic encounters with Jesus getting saved. So good. And it's all going to lead up to Jesus coming back for us. Right. We are his reward. He's coming back for us. Why do you think believers get get nervous about these times or get worried about these times? Should we, how should we feel? I I, I want to ask you how, how do you, what do you tell your church how we should be feeling at this time? Well, excited. I think we should be excited and we should never get so deeply rooted in the things of this world and so dependent on the things of this world that these things control how we serve Jesus. Because all of these things are temporal and the only thing we can take out of this world with us are other people. You know, the size of our bank account or the kind of house we live in or the car we drive, none of that stuff is going to go to heaven with us. But how we serve him and the other people we help to connect him to or connect, help them to connect him to, that's all we can take to heaven with us. So uh, Jesus said this, because people ask me, what should we be doing? Because yeah. we're in the last days. I said, Jesus said, occupy till I come. Comes back. That's yeah. what, so we keep doing what he's called us to do. That's all we do. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that we just keep our eyes yeah. on, the, on the ultimate goal. Yes. You know what I mean? Do our best down here. We try to live our best life, take as many people with us to heaven as we can, but ultimately temporal. Yeah. Yes. I want to ask you a few more things, and then I'll let you go. I know you got to get back. Um, you mentioned no father in the home. Yeah. Nobody to show you how to be a father. Nobody to show you how to be a husband. Yeah. Right? And I want, I want to ask you this question because I, I think it's important. I get a lot of people that, that – that I talk to and, and that's their main excuse. Even, even believers, you know, that I don't know how to love or be a great husband um, because nobody ever showed me or nobody, uh, I didn't have a great example in the home or, you know, I don't know how to be a great father. I don't know how to love because nobody loved me. And it, it's, it's kind of a, a weird situation. Cause I'm like, God showed you how to, how to love, you know, yeah. he, he, he showed us. Um, how did you because I always see you with your wife. Yeah. Always take great pictures. I mean, you guys are like, come on, man. You guys look great. You guys look like a Hollywood couple, man. It looks she awesome. looks great. <laughs> you never change yeah. either, man. Your hair is always in yeah. place. But how do you become a great father and a great husband? Yeah. When when, when you never had that in your life? Well, number one, it starts with the desire. You gotta wanna be. And um And for guys that say, I can't and make excuses, that's exactly what they're doing. They're making excuses. Does it require hard work and sometimes harder work for other people than maybe somebody else? Absolutely. I had zero point of reference. There were lots of times I got frustrated because I had nothing to pull from. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I got to figure this out. I made some mistakes and I make mistakes. But one of the first things that God showed me was it? He said, I will be a father to the fatherless. He said, Jay, I'm going to be your dad. I'm going to be your father, and I'm going to teach you, and you're going to learn from me. 
And that didn't happen overnight. It was a process. And so I have three children now. And my first two kids feel like they got ripped off when they see how my third kid has done because they've gotten better with every one right. of them. Right. Yeah. And um, so uh, that's what we do. It, we're our work in progress, but the progress can only happen when we work. And you have to be willing to confront those things in your own life. Just because somebody wasn't that for me doesn't mean I can't be that for others. So I don't have a natural point of reference then I need to go find something that'll empower me to become. So when I first got saved, right, because I was a party guy, I was a party person. I remember one day, not long after I'd been saved, I was standing around this group of men that were way different from me. They didn't live a life like me. It was these all church men. And I remember standing there, I felt so uncomfortable. I'm like, because I couldn't identify. Yeah. But I remember, I remember this is a decision I made because there were good there were good dads in that group. There were guys that loved their wives, loved their children. They didn't do drugs like I did. You know, they they didn't live the skateboard life. These were just good dudes that worked great jobs and loved their families and served Jesus in Alabama. And I remember I was like, I feel extremely uncomfortable, but these men have something I want. So I refused to allow the awkwardness of feeling uncomfortable to cause me to pull back and leave. I said, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to make myself stay around these dudes. And those guys poured into me. And uh, I was having maintenance in the early days because I asked them everything. You know, I'm a, I constantly tell me this, tell me that. What's the Bible say? How yeah. do I do this? And they helped me. I think that's great. I, I, I tell young guys, hey, you know, there's no excuse. Find a father in the church that you admire. That you want to be like. Yes. And go ask them a million questions. It's yeah. like you did. Yeah. Go ask them a million questions. There's no excuse. There's somebody that will say, I'll help you. Somebody that will lend a hand. But you got to be willing to say, same thing with, with being a great husband. Find a marriage that you want to be like or yeah. emulate and, and go up to them. Hey, speak into our life. Help us out a little bit. So we're all, we all come into this world in our raw form. And so some people may have been more developed because of the way they grew up or the environment they were in. But they came from the same raw form. We, Somebody else, might, like me, not having a point of reference in terms of a dad, I, I may not have had that same hands-on development in the earlier stages as somebody else, but it's the same raw form. And the same potential that came out of them is the same potential that can come out of me. I just have to be willing to grab a hold of that raw, raw thing that's on the inside of me and mine it out. I've got to mine out how do I love? How do I be? How do I be a dad? How do I affirm my children? How do I provide protection, guidance? How do I be that? So you have to mine that stuff out. That's not always easy, but the end result is beautiful. Yeah. I am so glad I didn't give up. I mean, there were some challenging moments, you know, in my marriage or just in life. And it hurt. It was hard. I didn't know what to do. I was, like, frustrated at, at moments. But I refused to quit. And I love my family so much. I love my wife, my kids. Sometimes it so touches my heart, the level of love that I have for them. I could just start crying because I love them. Yeah. You know? And... um and I want them. I want them to know it. I want them to feel it. I want them to experience it. So good. Yeah. So good, Pastor yeah. Jay. 
I appreciate you coming out. Yeah, my pleasure. I, I know we covered uh, yeah. the spectrum. See, that, that was an hour and 40 minutes. Oh, wow. I told Crazy. you it goes like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. Okay, so before we, before we head out here, me and Camel have one mm-hmm. thing. Okay. It's called what we call the Furious Five. Oh. All right. <laughs> and we ask you five furious questions, right? Quick okay. answers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go a little longer, but quick answers. Okay. It's kind of like we got a little game show. Help theme. me, Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Number one, the best skater of all time, in your opinion. Christian Hasoy. Christian Hasoy. Is that because he's your buddy and, and, and been in your church forever? Well, no, it's for real, but he is my best friend. <laughs> he's the best? What makes him the best? Just his style and just he he's the one that broke the lid open. And he was he was so far beyond everybody else. His style, the way he soared, the way he skated, and still does to this day, still shreds. Yeah. I mean, just You gotta you gotta put a good word in for the Street Gospel Podcast with Hosoy. We gotta get him got in. Got it. Here. Number two. Your favorite preacher of all time. Gosh. I don't know that I just have one. So one of the first guys that's coming to my mind, I'll just say it, David Wilkerson. Really? Yeah, I love that guy. It's great, huh? In the early days of my serving Jesus, I got his newsletters. and Street uh, preacher? To the core. To the core. Right? Yeah. Tom, mean, Tom Square Church. Cam, that's that's uh, uh, Cross and Switchblade. That's it. You, you know what's funny? He, he knows about Cross and the Switchblade. Huh. He, he picked <laughs> up the, found a vinyl. He likes old vinyl. He, oh, cool. he came home, with, like, just this last week. Look at this vinyl I found. And it was crossing the switchboard. Wow, how cool is that? His friends didn't know. They're yeah. all church kids. They didn't know who it was, but, but he's like, hey. So I, I could sit here and go, like, um, uh, Leonard Ravenhill. You know, I love I loved Steve Hill, you know. Yeah. I, I love T.D. Jakes, you yeah. know. Uh, I'm friends with Joel Osteen. Yeah. You know, I could. I love Stephen Furtick, you right. know. There, I could sit here and tell you all these different people, but I love these old revivalists. Yeah. You know, I love... Those pioneers, you know, that uh, William Seymour. <laughs> they, 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 I never sets, heard William Seymour preach, but I love what he did. They set the stage. Yeah. I mean, they set the stage yep. in, in, in an era that was probably 20 times harder. Yes. All right. Number three. Yes. If you weren't a pastor, what would your daytime job be? I would be an entrepreneur. But really? Yeah. Doing what? Anything? Well, I do have a side hustle of oh, there uh, we go, real estate investment. Okay, yeah, that's 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 your uh, another passion for you. Well, it's uh, it's my retirement plan. <laughs> you know, <laughs> somebody asked me, "Hey, what's your retirement plan?" I said, "Dude, it's out of this world." You, you know what's funny about that though? Yeah, a lot of pastors don't have a retirement plan, correct? Yeah, no, yeah, they don't. And, and, and let me ask you this: this is off this is off the subject, but it's on the, this subject. Without having a retirement plan in all your income comes from the church it's not to put any pastors on the spot does that influence the way you drive your church because yeah no i've so i got years ago when i was younger because he knew right the majority of most pastors get to the end of they get old and they have no income yeah they're living off social security and they don't have any they live these very heartbreaking lives they've given their lives to serve jesus and and they're they're awesome people and great will be the reward in heaven. But I remember this guy pulling me aside. He said, Look, man, Abraham, he's the father of faith. Father of faith means he's an example of how it works. He said he was rich in silver, cattle, gold. 
He said, Abraham created three avenues uh, where God could provide for him. So if the cattle market was down, the silver and gold were still up. He said, you got to create more than one stream of income. That's because good. if you just try to live off of what comes in through ministry, uh, he says it's going to be really tough and hard. And, and, and a lot of pastors <clears throat> fall into the dilemma of trying to change with the times to keep the flock going because that ultimately keeps the income coming, right? But if you have a, an income already here, you preach the word the, just the way it is. You're not influenced because I got to get a check from the church and I don't want people to leave. Well, so what I've even done with the church is I've created multiple streams of income. So the church doesn't exist solely off of people's generosity, even though the, that is huge. Yeah. I mean, it's necessary. Uh, but the church has rental property. Yeah, I, I think that's, I, I've talked to another pastor in, in, in La Puente, asked him the same thing. He says, see this building, we own it, but see that house over there and that house over there, we own those two, and we rented those out for like 20 years, and we paid off the church. Yeah. So it was, it was a great, it was a great plan. Biggest pet peeve Pastor Jay has. Yeah, it's wanting people's future for them more than they want it for themselves. Oh, especially if you see potential, right? 100%. I see it all the time. I, I mean, I'm like, I want people's future more than they want it for themselves so many times. Frustrates me. I'm like, dude, you're so talented. You're so gifted. I can see God's desire for your life. Just come on. And when and when they don't put forth the effort or they want me to work harder for their future than they'll work for their oh. future, it'll just never work. It doesn't work. And, but it happens all the time. And I've learned like. If you're not, if you, I am not working harder for your future than you're going to work for yourself. It's good. Number five, the Lord tarries. Where do you see yourself in five years? Preaching the gospel right here in Southern California. Same thing. So we just recently changed our mission statement. Okay. Because we sounded too corporate and polished. And we're, there's a there's a grittiness about us. Even You're a skater, though, man. Yeah, we have a very diverse crowd. There are executives. There are people that make seven figures that come to our church that never done drugs ever. But then there are gang members that come to our church. So good, you know, and everybody in between. Yeah, and um, the uh, so our old vision statement used to say real reaching, equipping, aligning, and legacy. But now we're like the pandemic. We're getting our edge back, right? Our new vision statement is called Making It Hard to Go to Hell from Southern California. <laughs> Simple. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just get to the point here. Yes. Right? That's why we exist. It's awesome. I appreciate you, Pastor Jay. Is there anything you want to shout out before we get out of here? You know, I, I just want to encourage people to authentically, genuinely pursue Jesus. Go after Him. Go after the Holy Spirit. Open your heart. Yield to Him. Uh, open up the Word of God. You know, and be passionate about obeying it. Obey the word, listen to his spirit, and say yes to whatever he wants to do. And um, our best days are in front of us, not behind us. It's good. Yeah. Everybody, you can check out Pastor Jay, his Instagram, Jay Hazlip. You can check out the Sanctuary. Uh, they're on YouTube. You can uh, you can visit his church if you're in Southern California and yep. you don't have a church. Awesome church there in Costa Mesa, right off the 55 freeway. Uh if you want to watch the old TV show that he was on with some other great preachers, Preachers of L.A., it's still up on YouTube. I saw a couple episodes the other day, but we loved you on that show, man. Yeah, thank you. Really authentic. And then you got to... You can see it on Amazon Prime as well. Amazon yeah. Prime as well. Got something else coming out soon, so we'll keep that under wraps, yep. but uh, look for him. He'll be out there. We out.